You're listening to the Mission Church Podcast. Each message comes from our Sunday morning gatherings where we worship in community, study God's Word, and grow in our faith together to the glory of Jesus Christ. The Mission Church is committed to helping each person belong and believe and to equip them to embrace the call of God upon their life. We pray these messages will build your faith and encourage you today. As we look at Jesus' Passion Week, one thing we see coming out loud and clear is the heart of our sovereign King, Jesus. We don't know for sure what happened in Jesus' ministry. On Thursday, the Last Supper happens. Uh, Jesus girds himself as a servant and he washes the disciples' feet. And he says, you do not know what I'm doing now, but after this, you'll understand my great love for you and, and what, I, what I want you to understand about love and what love is and what love does. And the creator of the universe girds himself with an apron like a servant, gets down on his knees and washes the disciples' feet on, you know, right before he goes to be crucified. Amazing, just astonishing. After he washes the disciples' feet, he prays the most beautiful prayer, in my opinion, recorded in Scripture. It's John chapter 17. If you've ever read it, it's phenomenal. And he does that after the Last Supper. Uh, And then uh, he goes... And goes from there right to the Garden of Gethsemane. Maybe you never knew, but the John chapter 17, that Lord's Prayer there is made right before he goes into the Garden of Gethsemane. And there in the Garden of Gethsemane, he takes the disciples with him. Uh, he takes Peter, James, and John even more close, close and says, hey, pray here with me. And he goes and he prays three times. What does he pray? Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. This cup of me being uh, the, 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 the sacrificial atoning one who takes on the sins of the world on his own shoulders. If there is another way, let this cup pass from me, the cross. And there was no other way. And Jesus said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will would be done. And each time he would come back to the disciples. And what were they doing? They were sleeping. They were sleeping. And it shows us how weak we are in our faith. And Jesus said, oh, could you not pray with me for one hour? Couldn't you just pray with me? And uh, it would have helped them. It would have strengthened them. Think how much better they would have done uh, when, uh, you know, Jesus was arrested had, um, had they been in prayer. And uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane, by the way, we see the contrast of two atoms, if you will. Adam, the first Adam, created by God, sinless. The only other man besides Jesus, uh, sinless. And there Adam in the first garden, in a perfect garden, in a paradise, in a perfect environment. He abdicates his responsibility. He, he doesn't follow through with his ministry. And, and he... Uh, just abandons his ministry and sins big time. The second Adam, Jesus, there in a garden of Gethsemane, sweating great drops of blood for the agony that is coming upon him, he remains faithful to the will of the Father and uh, goes through and and does not abdicate his responsibility, his ministry. Uh, The first Adam... uh, uh, 
did not take care of his wife, and the second Adam did take care of his wife, the church, and made her spotless. Uh, just an amazing contrast. And so now, this is where we're going to pick up in chapter 18. Uh, Jesus just finishes in the Garden of Gethsemane, and now Judas comes with a huge detachment of troops that he has got from Caiaphas, the high priest, to arrest Jesus. And follow along with me as I, as I read. Are you there, uh, John 18? Are you there? Yes. Give me a big amen if we're all there. Amen. All right, let's read. Um, when Jesus had spoken these words, that's these words in John chapter 17, this prayer. He went out with the, his disciples over the brook Kidron, where there was a garden. That's the Garden of Gethsemane which he and his disciples entered. And it doesn't give us the detail here, but we know he prayed and all the things I just mentioned. And Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. This beautiful garden of Gethsemane, right outside the Temple Mount, right by the Mount of Olives. Uh, if you need a Bible, the ushers will give you one. Just raise your hand. You'll enjoy this. We're going to cover a lot of scripture, so you'll enjoy it a lot more if you have one. Um... Uh, this beautiful garden, and Jesus, it says that he would take the disciples there often. Jesus, uh, you know, just a beautiful garden. It's really wise to enjoy the beautiful, simple things of life. Thursday night, last night, Lisa and I went for a, a run at sunset and went up on this hill, and you could just see the beauty of the sunset. Did you see the sunset last night? Oh, my goodness. And, uh, you know, my father-in-law, my wife's uh, dad, is in hospice. And, uh, boy, it was just so comforting to look at the beauty and to go, Lord, you have everything under control. Wise to enjoy the simple things of life. Jesus would go to this beautiful garden often. Judas knew where it was, it says. And, and Judas, having received a, a detachment of troops and officers from the chief priest and from the Pharisees came there with lanterns and torches and weapons. This was a large, big, huge group of heavenly armed soldiers. Matthew's gospel tells us that it was a great multitude of fully armed soldiers and they came for Jesus and they came loaded for bear. These soldiers that Judas brought to the Garden of Gethsemane were like special ops soldiers. They were like the SWAT team. They came from the Antonio Fortress, which is just at the northwest side of the Temple Mount. The Antonio Fortress held between 300 and 600 highly trained Roman soldiers at all times. And they were trained for riots and for, uh, you know, rebellion and, and that kind of thing where, you know, these, these groups would come in. The Temple Mount, not much has changed in 2,000 years, right? Still a very volatile area. And these were highly trained soldiers. In this Antonio Fortress, there were four towers. Three of the towers were 80 feet tall, overlooking the whole Temple Mount. One of the towers was 120 feet tall. And again, these highly trained soldiers, and they are the ones that come to arrest Jesus. 
They are the ones that the religious leaders and the chief priests and all of them came. Uh, just amazing, right? That here's the question. How many soldiers are needed to arrest one man? Why did they send so many soldiers, 300 soldiers to come and arrest Jesus? That seems a bit excessive, does it not? Why? Well, here's why. Many times the religious leaders had tried to arrest Jesus and what would always happen? Somehow, he was slippery, man. Somehow he would just slip away because it wasn't his time. And so the religious leaders spare no expense. They come loaded for bear with all of these highly trained experts. They do not want him to escape. And they come to arrest Jesus. Let's look at what happens. Verse 4. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward and said to them, Whom are you seeking? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said to them, I am. In your Bible, does your Bible have the word I am he? Yes. Is the he italicized? Yes. The reason the he is italicized is because it is not in the original language. So I would encourage you, scratch it out. And I'll tell you why in just one second. Jesus says, I am. And look what happens. And they drew back and fell to the ground. What the heck? 300 highly trained soldiers from the Antonio Fortress, special ops forces, loaded to the gills with weaponry, state of the art, for whatever the state of the art was in that day, and they fall backwards to the ground. Jesus asked them again, whom are you seeking? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus answered and said, I told you, told you, that I am. Therefore, if you seek me, let these go, pointing to his disciples, let these go their way, that the saying might be fulfilled, which he spoke, of these whom you have given me, I have lost none. Wow, what a good shepherd Jesus is. He puts the needs of his bride, the church, above his own needs. He protects them. What a good shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything that I want. He leads me beside still waters. He leads right. This is, and here we see the goodness of Jesus. How amazing. I want to draw your attention to these words. Whom are you seeking? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus says, I am. In the Greek, the word is ego I me. Ego I me. And this is not the first time Jesus has used the word ego I me. He used it in uh, a couple of times in John 8, 58, and also in John 13, 19. One of the times in John 50, uh, 8, 58, uh, Jesus says, before Abraham was... I am, ego I me. And the Jews knew what, was saying, what he was saying. The, the Septuagint, which is the Old Testament in Greek, they knew that Jesus was equating himself to the picture of God speaking to Moses 
from the burning bush. When God speaks to the burning, through the burning bush and calls Moses to himself, and Moses says, who do I say sent me? And in the Septuagint it says, ego ami. And Jesus spoke these words, and they knew that he was identifying himself, and they uh, picked up stone. They were ready to you know, get rid of him at that time, and uh, they knew what he was talking about. And here's my question. What kind of power was released in those two words when Jesus told the soldiers, ego ami? Who do you come to seek? Jesus of Nazareth. I am and what happened? How much power does it take to knock 300 trained special ops soldiers who are loaded for bear on their backs and knock them so stunned that Jesus has to remind them, get up. What did you come here for? Who are you seeking? Wow. Here's the question. Why? Why? Jesus' sovereignty is on display that he might show his disciples, that he might show you, that he might show me, that he might show us that no one took my life from me. I laid it down willingly. This wasn't bad luck. This wasn't a bad day. I am sovereign over the entire thing. And he speaks the I am passage from the bush of Moses and the people fall over backwards. Wow. Wow. He willingly and sovereignly gave his life so that you and I can live. And this is what we celebrate on this, this Good Friday. Matthew tells us that when Judas came, he came to Jesus and he says, Greetings, Master. And he betrayed him with a kiss. And the Greek word for a kiss is a kiss from a, a, a uh, don't, don't read this the wrong way, but a kiss from a close relationship, from a deep loving relationship. Not like a casual friend, but a purposeful, you know, he betrayed him with a kiss. And it reveals the closeness that Judas had with Jesus. Jesus the Messiah, God in the flesh, was being backstabbed by a close, intimate friend. If you've ever been stabbed by somebody you really care about, you know how painful it is. And I imagine the scale that have happened to you. I know the scale that it's happened to me is minuscule compared to what's happening to Jesus here. Can you imagine what that felt like for Jesus? This was someone he cared about. This was someone he loved. And he betrays him with a kiss. Greetings, master, as Judas goes to betray him with a kiss. Greetings, Master, as he's betraying Jesus. Judas' words that night reveal something. What do they reveal? They reveal that he had never truly submitted to the authority and lordship of Jesus Christ. 
that he used the word master just in a cavalier, casual way and that he never submitted himself to the lordship of Jesus Christ. And I want you to know that a relationship with Jesus in anything but the lordship position is a dangerous way to have a relationship with Jesus. Judas thought nothing of betraying him because he thought nothing of disrespecting his authority because he thought nothing of his lordship. And woe to us if we can come to church and sing songs and pray Jesus Lord and then walk around thinking nothing of his lordship. It's a dangerous position to be in. Jesus would say, why do you call me master and Lord and do not the things that I say? Uh, here we see Judas never submitted. Uh, let's go on though. Let's, uh, we want to cover some ground. Look at verse 10. I'm going to go a little faster. Uh, verse 10. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. Uh, I love this passage, by the way. Way to go, Peter. Aren't you glad one of them stood up? Aren't you glad that one of them said, Hey, you know, not my Jesus. And even though it was the wrong thing to do, I'm so glad Peter did it, right? I'm just so glad that Peter, you know... Uh, and he must have been inspired. Maybe watching Jesus speak and the, the soldiers fell backwards. Peter thought, yeah, we can take these guys, right? Uh, the servant's name was Malchus, verse, verse 10 says. Verse 11. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into the sheath. Shall I not drink the cup which my father has given me? Which cup is he talking about? The cross. Then the detachment of troops and the captain of the officers. You can see how large this troop was. There's a, the, even captains of officers, plural, of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. We know that uh, when Peter went to uh, swing the sword, he cut off Malchus's ear. And we know from one of the other gospels that Jesus stops the whole thing and picks up Malchus's ear and puts it back on his head and heals Malchus. Can you imagine the pain as the blood is squirting out? You know, like, can you imagine the ringing that would be in you? Can you imagine, and what would it be like to watch this one that you're coming to arrest, pick that bloody floppy ear up, stick it on your head, and suddenly you're like, and you're hearing fine, you're like, what the heck? And I wonder what Malchus did. I wonder if he just stayed there on his knees. I, just amazing, right? Um, verse 13. Then they led him away, led Jesus away to Ananias. For he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. Ananias had been the high priest for uh, quite a few years leading up to this. And now his son-in-law, uh, Caiaphas, is the high priest. But Ananias still had some horsepower, so they brought him to him. 
Now it was Caiaphas who advised the Jews that it was expedient that one man should die for the people. I don't, we don't have time to go into that. Hopefully you know what that is. You can look in John eleven fifty if you don't. Verse 15, then Simon Peter followed Jesus and so did another disciple. We're in John's gospel. Who is that other disciple? That's John. John would never use his own name in the disciple. Uh, he, he, the other disciple, that's John. So Peter and John follow. Now the disciple that was known, now that disciple was known to the high priest. John knew the high priest and went with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But P Peter, he stood at the door outside. Peter didn't know the high priest. They didn't let him in. Then the other disciple, which was known to the high priest, John, went out and spoke to her who kept the door and brought Peter in. Then the servant girl, the little doorkeeper, the one who kept the door, said to Peter, Are you not also one of this man's disciples? And he said, I am not. Matthew's gospel says, he gets vehement and he says, you don't even know what you're talking about. You don't even know what you're saying, right? He gets angry. Verse 18, a little time passed. Now the servants and the officers who had made a fire of coal stood there for it was cold. And they warmed themselves. And Peter stood with them and warmed himself. Dangerous place to be when the disciples of Jesus are hanging out with the enemies of Jesus. If you're there, Christian, get out of that place. Not a good place for you to be, as we're going to see with Peter. Peter's warming himself with the en enemy. Verse 19, the high priest then asked Jesus about his disciples and his doctrine. And Jesus said and answered him and said, I spoke openly to the world. I always taught in the synagogues and in the temple where the Jews were meeting. And in secret, I have said nothing. I have no hidden agenda. I have no hidden messages here. Uh, verse 21, why do you ask me what I'm teaching? Ask those who heard me what I said to them. Indeed, they know what I have said. Do you know what Jesus is saying right here? He's saying, I want a fair trial. Why are you asking me? Why don't you get some witnesses? Why don't we do this thing the right way? Why don't we bring in uh, some evidence? Some, and they, you know, uh, let them tell you. Verse 22. Uh, it is said, by the way, that uh, by the mouth are two or three witnesses, the thing is established. There were none, right? There were none. Verse 22. And when he said these things, one of the officers who stood by struck Jesus with the palm of his hand, saying, do you answer the high priest like that? And Jesus kept his composure, and he said, if I have spoken evil, bear witness of that evil. But if I've spoken well, why do you strike me? Why are you hitting me? Then Ananias sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. And so that was the, Jesus had several trials. That was the first trial. Now he goes to a second trial, travels to where Caiaphas is, uh, locked in with all the soldiers and goes to Caiaphas. Verse 25. Now Simon Peter stood and warmed himself there with the enemies of Jesus. Therefore they said to him, You're not one of his disciples, are you?
And he denied it. And he said, I am not. How many betrayals is that now? Two. One of the servants of the high priest. Look at this. This is interesting. One of the servants of the high priest. A relative of him whose ear Peter had cut off said, didn't I see you in the garden of Gethsemane with him? Aren't you the guy who cut off Malchus's ear? I'm pretty sure you're the guy who cut off Malchus's ear. And look at verse 27. And Peter denied again. Matthew's gospel tells us that he cursed and swore with an oath. I swear to God, I don't know the man. Wow. And immediately the rooster crowed. Scripture tells us that when that rooster crowed the third time, Jesus looked up and they made eye contact. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. The one that he loved, the one that had been loved by him like nobody had ever loved him, the one that had given him so much wisdom and discernment, the one who had made his life worth living, the one that had transformed him and made him in to the man that he was, the one that has just cared for him, he's now denied, even though he said, even if everybody denies you, I never will. And he denied him three times, just as Jesus said, and he goes out and weeps bitterly. We then get to uh, uh, trial number three. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the Praetorium. The Praetorium was a Roman judgment hall where Pilate will be ruling and reigning. This is now the third trial of Jesus. They led uh, Jesus from Caiaphas to the Praetorium, and it was early morning. It is way early in the morning now on, on, on uh, Friday. And, uh, you know, still not even light out. Still probably, you know, 2, 3 in the morning. And look at this. They're doing trials in the middle of the night. Uh, I always hate it when Congress meets really late when they're trying to push something through, you know. Uh, why are we doing things at night, right? And here uh, uh, they were doing this because they, uh, none of it was above board. They led Jesus from Caiaphas to the Praetorium, and it was early morning, but they themselves did not go into the Praetorium, lest they should be defiled, so that they might eat the Passover that day. Uh, what hypocrites. They didn't want to go into a Roman courthouse and defile themselves with Gentiles as they're trying to kill the Son of God. I want you to know, if you ever come to church with bitterness in your heart towards someone, I want you to know it's better that you don't come to church, that you first go and get right with that person and then come and worship God. Uh, don't allow yourself to be a hypocrite that is, you know, if you've got hatred in your heart towards someone, uh, get right with them. Um, verse 29, Then Pilate went out and said to them, what accusation do you bring against this man? And they answered and said to him, if he were not an evildoer, sounds like George Bush, if he were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him up to you. Uh, they had no crime, no civil crime that they could bring against him, right? Then Pilate said to them, you take him and you judge him according to your laws. I don't want to get involved in your religious stuff. Uh, Therefore, the Jews said to him, said to Pilate, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. 
that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spoke, signifying what death he would die. The Talmud tells us that Rome took away the ability for the Jews to bring capital punishment. And Jewish capital punishment would have been by what? How did the Jews do capital punishment? Stoning. And the Romans took it away from the Jews. And here the scripture tells us, so that the scripture might be fulfilled, what kind of death Jesus was going to die. If the Jews would have killed him, he would have been stoned. But because the Romans killed him, he was crucified. And that was what was prophesied about him in Isaiah 53. And so that's what God orchestrated in human history to make that happen. Wow. Just amazing, right? Verse 33. Then Pilate entered the praetorium again and he called Jesus and he said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Pilate had heard about Jesus. And he's seeing in his character and in his countenance and in his wisdom and that he's not ranting and raving. And when the words that he does speak, they're profound. He sees there is something about him. He says, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered and he said to him, Are you speaking for yourself about this? Or did others tell you this concerning me? What's Jesus asking? Is this a heart question? Or are you just doing your job? Because it will affect the way I answer you. When we come to Jesus and ask him about his lordship, ask him about his divinity, ask him about who he is, and we do it because there's a pure heart Jesus will speak to us. If we do it because it's just the popular thing to do, my friends go to church, all go to church, Jesus is always looking at the heart while we're asking. Pilate answered and said, am I a Jew? Uh, by that he's saying, am I religious? I don't understand this religious stuff. He says, your own nation and the chief priest have delivered you to me. What have you done? And look at the answer Jesus gives. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. You might want to circle the word now. In the Greek, it's in the English equivalent of a present tense. He's saying, right now, my kingdom is not of here. Right now. Right now, my kingdom is in heaven. And right now, I'm the king of that kingdom in heaven. Right now. And if my kingdom were here on earth, which I'm bringing it one day, then my servants would fight. But right now, my kingdom is not of here. Wow. Pilate uh, therefore said to him, Oh, then you are a king then. And Jesus answered and said, You say rightly that I am a king. And for this cause, I was born. And... For this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Jesus says, for this purpose I have come into the world. For this cause I've come into the world, that I should bear witness of the truth. Of what truth? What truth is he bearing witness of? That God so loves man 
that he would go to the cross and take the punishment of their sins on his own shoulders. Because God so loves man and God so hates sin that he would go through these great lengths. God would become a man that he might impart to those who believe on him by faith eternal life. That's the answer Jesus is giving Pilate. And everyone who hears my voice knows this truth, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. Wow, what a powerful experience there with Pilate. Uh, I just lost my spot. What verse are we in? A little louder? 38, thank you. Um, Pilate said to him, what is truth? Oh, look at the difference of these kingdoms. Pilate, the king of a kingdom that is corrupt, and he doesn't even know what truth is. What is truth? What is righteousness? I wish I could find it. I find one of the craziest things in our world today that if you go to court and you've got attorneys on both sides, the place where truth and law should be upheld is one of the places where truth and law is like hard to find, right? It's the craziest thing. Ask anybody who's getting a divorce right? Heart, craziest thing. What is truth? That's what it looks like from a worldly king. Jesus, look at the truth he had just spoke of. This is truth, that God so loves you and so hates sin that he would come and take a punishment of it himself. Uh, and when he had said this, he went out to the Jews and he said, I find no fault in him at all. Pilate's wife had warned her. She had warned him. She had had a dream. This is a good man. This is a really good man. Don't do anything to him. And Pilate's wife had warned him. And now he has heard from his own self, this is the Messiah. First, uh, uh, he, so he brings Jesus to the Jews and he says, I find no fault in him at all. And look what he does. Uh, but you have a custom that I should release someone to you at Passover. Do you therefore want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And they all cried again saying, not this man, not Jesus, but Barabbas. Everybody say Barabbas. 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 Now Barabbas was a robber. Luke's gospel tells us he, was, he caused a rebellion against Rome. It tells us he was also a murderer. Just incredible. And you see what Pilate is doing here? He has this notorious, hardened, dirty criminal. And he's got Jesus. And he looks at Jesus and he says, this guy's amazing. And he goes, I know how to get out of this dilemma. I've got a slam dunk solution to this dilemma I'm in. Uh, I'm going to show the people Barnabas, this filthy, hardened criminal with multiple convictions, guilty of murder, and I'm going to show them Jesus. I'll put them right next to each other. I know what Jesus has done. I've heard all the stories. He's done so much good. He's a healer. He's cared for the weak. He's cared for the poor. He's cared for the lowly. He's a brilliant teacher. Pilate thought, surely they will choose to release Jesus. I mean, it's a no-brainer. He probably thought like, wow, I got a great solution to this problem, right? And he goes and he tells them, he brings them to the people, hey, here's Barnabas and here's Jesus. Dirty scoundrel and the son of God, right? Just amazing. And Pilate is astonished when they choose Barabbas as the one to be released. 
I love how inspired scripture is. I love how sovereign God is over all things. For God is in the details of everything. Here in this story, God is in the details. He is giving a very powerful and important message to you and to me and to everyone on the earth. Barabbas. Do you know what Barabbas, what his name means? Bar means son and Abba means father. Bar Abba means son of the father. And here Pilate, this pagan ruler, brings these two men up. And he says, which one do you want me to release? The son of the father or the son of the father? Wow. Two sons of the father. Two very different fathers. One, the son of the holy, pure, righteous God. God in the flesh. One, the son of the lying, cheating, deplorable, selfish, egotistical, narcissistic, lustful, greedy, I could go on, son of Adam. And Barabbas there with his grease and dirty hair and his snarl and his filth and his And in God's divine courtroom, the murderous rebel, uh, rebel, (laughs) the murderous rebel goes free while the son of man goes to the cross. Two sons of the father. One takes the punishment of all the sons of Adam's sins. And God puts it on display for all of us to see. Wow. Just amazing. I put the words to the song, How Deep the Father's Love, on the screens. Will you read them with me out loud as we consider this display? Look how sovereign Jesus is as we have Barabbas there, uh, two sons of the Father, one going to the cross, the, uh, the guilty being set free, the innocent going to death. Read this with me if you will. How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. To make Barabbas his treasure. It was my sin that held him there. The father turns his face away. As wounds which mar the chosen one. Bring many filthy sons to glory. Why should I gain his reward? I cannot give an answer. But this I know with all my heart. His wounds have paid my ransom. Is it not amazing? Is it not astonishing? And let's look. We're going to hit a, a little, a few more verses in 19, then we'll take communion together. We'll go through it really fast. Uh, look what Barabbas is released, and Pilate then takes Jesus and he scourges him. If you have never studied Roman scourging, oh, I would encourage you to look it up. 
as they would scourge you, they would put you over a whipping post and they would tie your hands together like this so that you couldn't move or get up and so that the skin on your back would be pulled tight. And then they would get a whip with a cat of nine tails. It was a long leather whip with a ball at the end that was embedded with bone and shards and, and uh, sharp objects that they would then whip in a- across the back. The purpose of scourging a prisoner was to get him to confess his sins. One whip from that scourge and every canary would sing. When that whip went into you, the whip would go across your back as it was pulled tight, and the weight of the end of the whip, the cat of nine tails, would get into your flesh, and it would actually pull a chunk. Pilate ordered Jesus to be scourged, 40 whips, minus one for mercy. Every criminal would confess their sin on the first whip. Jesus had no sin to confess. He took all 39. That alone would kill the average man. Isaiah tells us he was beaten beyond recognition. You couldn't, if you knew him before, you wouldn't even know who he was if you saw him. Verse 2, And soldiers twisted a crown of thorns into his head, and they put, a, put on him a purple robe, And they said to him, Hail, King of the Jews. And they struck him with their hands. They ripped the beard out of his face. They mocked him. They jeered him. After they did all this, Pilate takes him, beaten to a pulp, brings him back in front of all the Jews. And he went out again to them and said to them, Behold, I'm bringing him out to you that you might know that I find no fault in him. I've scourged him 39 times. He confessed no sin. I find no fault in him. And they bring him out, and I can imagine what he looked like. Again, Isaiah said, beyond recognition of a man. And they bring out this bloody thing. Jesus came out. Bloody, beaten to a pulp, verse 5, wearing a crown of thorns and a purple robe. And Pilate said to them, Behold the man, no confession of sin. Therefore the chief priests and the officers, when they saw him, they cried out, Crucify him, crucify him. Sadistic and demonic for sure. Uh, Just hard to believe. And Pilate said to them, You guys are sick. You take him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. And the Jews answered and said, We have a law, and according to our law, he ought to die, because he made himself to be, say it with me, the Son of God. And I bet Pilate almost peed his pants right there, right? When Pilate heard that, he was more afraid. He was already afraid. When he heard that, he was more afraid. And he went into the praetorium and he said to Jesus, they're bleeding and beaten and just hemorrhaging. Where are you from? But Jesus answered him, no answer. You can tell by Pilate's question that he's believing. Where are you from? Like he's not talking about 
what city, right? He's like, are you from heaven? And Pilate said to him, are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have the power to crucify you and I have the power to release you? And I think, oh, poor Pilate. You just indicted yourself. And Jesus answered, and he says, you could have no power at all against me unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me into, you, into your hands has the greater sin. Jesus is so gracious. And from then, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, saying, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. For whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. Now they are practicing extortion against Pilate. Pilate, we're going to use our religious power. We're going to get you kicked out of office if you uh, support any man who is against, speaks against Caesar. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus and sat down in the judgment seat in the place that is called the pavement, but in Hebrew it's called Gabbatha. Uh, Pilate is just in disgust, in anguish. Uh, now it was the preparation day, it's Friday, the preparation day of Passover, about the sixth hour, about noon. And he said to the Jews, behold your king. It's interesting it gives us this detail that it was about noon, it was the sixth hour. Because on Passover at noon, do you know what would happen? That's the time when all the Jews from all everywhere come to Jerusalem. They have to go there every year at Passover. And that's the time that the, that the Passover lambs would start being offered in the temple on the third hour at noon. Excuse me, the sixth hour at noon. And he said to the Jews, behold your king. But they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. And Pilate said, Shall I crucify your king? And the chief priest answered and said, We have no king but Caesar. The truth comes out of these godless religious leaders that they have no king but their political power. The greater truth that this was not even really accurate. This was actually just a hypocritical allegiance to Caesar, Caesar because what they, would have, what they would have really should have said is, we have no king but ourselves. Then they delivered him to them. Pilate, uh, he delivered them to, to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus away and led him away. And he, bearing his cross, went out to the place of a skull, which is called in Hebrew, Golgotha, where they crucified him. And two others with him, two other criminals with him. Uh, it was prophesied he'd be crucified he'd, between two, two criminals. And uh, one on either side and Jesus in the center. And Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross. And the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, say it with me the king of the Jews. Rome would always proclaim the crime that the person on the cross had committed, putting it over their head to deter all other people. If you steal, if you do whatever, the, the pronouncement was, this is what happens to you. And the crime that Jesus committed was being the king of the Jews. Then many of the Jews read this title 
Uh, Josephus says there were between two and three million Jews in Passover that, that Good Friday. Uh, the Jews read that title for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city and it was written in Hebrew and Greek and in Latin. This is God's proclamation to every tribe, tongue, and people. This is the king of the Jews. I love that heaven is full of all the nations. All the nations will come before it. Right? Just heaven is full of all the nations. Verse 21. Therefore the chief priest of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but write that he said, I'm the king of the Jews. And Pilate answered and said, What I have written, I have written. I'm going to ask Kyle and the team to come up so we can partake and have communion together. What I have written, I have written. He is the king of the Jews. And for six hours, Jesus hung on the cross, taking the punishment of our sins upon his own shoulders. And darkness fell across the land from noon till three o'clock. And the earth shook, and the veil in the temple the veil in the temple that separated the Holy of Holies, the place where no one could go in, only one high priest and only once a year, the place that was the place symbolically of God's presence, where God's presence dwelt. An 18-inch thick veil curtain between the holiest of holies, the temple uh, and the holy place, and that curtain was ripped, the Bible says, from top to bottom. If man would have ripped it, how would we have ripped it? From bottom to top. The temple veil was ripped from top to bottom. Jesus dying on the cross, it is finished. The way into the holiest of holies, the way to be in the, into the presence of God is now made available to all. You may freely share this message with others as long as you don't charge for it. Support for these broadcasts comes from your generous donations that allow us to give away our materials for free. To participate with us, please visit our website at themissionchurch.net. God bless.